Hi, I'm David Freudberg. This podcast derives from the Humankind Public Radio series, which I began hosting back in 1997. Our program recognizes how hard it can be, but also how necessary, for us to hold on to our humanity. So we've sought out people with stories that illustrate how they approach that quest. To aim high, to treat others as we'd like to be treated, to see others as more similar to us than different, to strive for patience and personal grace even in adversity, to be part of the solution, not the problem. We hope our podcast helps to reinforce and inspire your own quest. Thank you. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund. Additional funding for this series has been provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Institutes of Health, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, and the Park Foundation. I think there are rewards that come with aging. I look to areas of our experience where we see that aging creates value. And uh, I use the examples of trees, cheese, violins, antiques, and to think about what time brings out in these that makes us willing to pay more money for old versions. And then think about what the correspondences are in human life. Making peace with the aging process and learning the habits of people who've lived for a hundred years. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. The human survival instinct prods us to outlast afflictions and, if circumstances permit, to reach old age. Nothing, of course, could be more quintessentially natural than aging, much as the glut of anti-aging advertisements might try to persuade us otherwise. In fact, we harbor many misconceptions about what it means to get older. Physician Andrew Weil is author of Healthy Aging. We see some categories of illness become much more common after age 60. Uh, The big ones are cardiovascular disease, cancer, neurodegenerative disease like Alzheimer's disease. Uh, There are also uh, things like osteoporosis and degenerative joint disease. So all of these are age-related diseases. Now the question is, is this synonymous with the aging process? Uh, The answer is clearly no. Uh, It is possible to age without developing these diseases or to develop them much, much later in life. And I think that should be what we aim for, not anti-aging. You know, we shouldn't be trying to turn back the clock, which is impossible. We should be trying to reduce the risk and delay the onset of age-related disease. You've said our society sort of pretends that we will live forever. What do you see as the consequences of of that denial? I think uh, if you deny the reality of aging, Uh, Not only are you vulnerable to the false messages of the anti-aging camp, and this, by the way, now includes uh, thousands of doctors who are preaching anti-aging medicine, Uh, and that has its own problems. A lot of the treatments being pushed here are, at best, wastes of money and, at worst, uh, medically dangerous. But I think also uh, this really can rob the latter half of life of meaning because I think... uh, awareness of aging and the fact that the body changes and 
diminishes in some respects, uh, can really be a stimulus to spiritual awakening and growth. Um, and I think that the more you deny, the more you pretend that's not happening, the more it takes you away from that goal. How does that awareness stimulate spiritual growth? Well, in the, in the book Healthy Aging, I use the example of the uh, legend of the Buddha's awakening. Uh, and you may recall that you know, he, his father uh, tried to protect him from anything that might direct him away from becoming a, uh, a king and worldly leader by having him uh, locked up in a palace with nothing but beauty and youth around. And uh, his awakening really began when he left the palace for a ride and saw an old man. And this was the first of uh, four messengers sent by the gods to awaken him. So it was the awareness of aging, the fact that we're going to grow old and decay, that really started him on the path to enlightenment. I think that's a metaphor for how awareness of aging can you know, make us think in, in a different direction. So just help me make that connection. Awareness of aging, that we will decay, that we're mortal, that the body will eventually cease to be alive, propels people into less superficial thinking? Yes, I think so. Uh, you know, and when I look at myself, there's a part of me that feels the same as when I was six. And I wonder what that is. You know, I think that awareness of aging can make us also aware of the part of us that doesn't change through time. You know, there is some unchanging essence at our core. Uh, you know, I'm, I think that is our spirit. That's our spiritual self. So is a more realistic acceptance of aging a way to directly get in touch with that? It is. And also, I think aging brings rewards. Uh, you know, it brings losses and challenges, but it also brings rewards. Aging can bring uh, increased experience, wisdom, uh, equanimity. In other cultures, a, old people are revered. You know, this is, I think, true in the traditional cultures of Asia. I've seen this in Okinawa, where I've gone to do research on the phenomenon of healthy aging. The, the oldest old there are living treasures, and efforts are made to include them in all community activities. One of the uh, stories I collected over there is that a common cause of sibling fighting is over who is going to get to take care of the aging parents. That's a little different from what we see in this culture. Uh, so I think that, uh, you know, we have many wrong-headed conceptions about aging, and the most damaging one is that the worth of human life diminishes with age. The distorted images so many of us hold about aging probably are rooted deep in the human psyche. Maybe they're fueled by unreal perceptions of youth, or perhaps by a primal fear of death. But unless our lifespan is cut short, ultimately we will have to face old age, and Dr. Andrew Weil says we really can do so gracefully. What for you would be the components of a healthy attitude for people to develop around aging? First, that aging is inevitable and natural, and that if you set yourself up in opposition to it, you're in a very wrong relationship with nature. That's not a good place to be. So I think you have to start with embracing aging, and then to, uh, as I said, look for the positive aspects of aging, which are there. It's not, not all negative. And then to really focus on what are the realistic goals, and to me that's living long and well. It's, it's being pro-health, not anti-aging. So you, you've talked in the book about compression of morbidity. Could you open that up a little bit? 
compression of morbidity is a technical term. Uh, morbidity has the medical meaning of sickness, and it means trying to squeeze the period of disability and decline at the end of life into as short a period as possible. So you live long and well and then have a rapid drop-off at the end. Now, I think we're already seeing in our culture people aging different, uh, differently from their parents. You know, you see people in their 70s today look like people in their 50s used to, people in their 80s look like people in their 60s. I think this is because we have more knowledge available to us and better products and services. So I think people already are taking better care of themselves and we're seeing these results. As Dr. Weil noted, one place where people seem to age especially well is Okinawa, a string of 160 islands and archipelagos in southern Japan. Scientists are fascinated by the region, and not only for its green landscape with rare plant and animal species. Okinawa is also home to a higher proportion of centenarians, people who live to at least 100 years, than any other place on Earth. Dr. Craig Wilcox, a gerontologist at Okinawa Prefectural University, co-leads the Okinawa Centenarian Study. You know, when I walk down the street with a, a person from the island here, and I'm walking at, <laughs> at a much faster pace than, than they are, it, it dawns on me that, well, wait a minute here, just slow down and take a deep breath and um, relax a little bit. One of the first things that frantic Westerners notice when they visit Okinawa is its leisurely pace. And that raises the question of whether a slower rhythm or diet or activity level or cultural conditions play a role in greater longevity. Or is it just that Okinawans are blessed with unusually resilient genes? Well, we're looking at both aspects of, of you know, both genetic and lifestyle aspects of the longevity phenomenon here. And we believe that that um, although there is some genetic support for their longevity, that most of it is attributable to lifestyle. And the reason we say that is because if Okinawans move from Okinawa to other parts of the world, eventually they take on the morbidity and mortality patterns of their host country. And we can see this when they've moved to... Okinawans have immigrated all over the world, and there's a, there's a large population in, in uh, Brazil and in other parts of South America, as well as in Hawaii. They tend to live long in Hawaii. They tend to follow a, a similar lifestyle. They, in Brazil, they, they tend to die earlier of, of uh, mostly of cardiovascular diseases. And do you, uh, do you associate that primarily with diet? Yes, we do. It's um, the, the diet we've looked at in, in Brazil, and it's very meat-heavy. Obesity is a is a problem for Okinawans in, in Brazil, and you see a lot less centenarians, and you see a, a lot shorter life expectancy. So that tells us that lifestyle is is playing strongly here. Let's talk about a condition here in the West that you've called the hurry disease. Right. How, how does it contrast with the pace of life you've observed in Okinawa, Japan? It's things run at a lot slower pace here. Uh, we we like to call it um, Okinawa time, and that's what actually it's not only that we call it that. That's what the 
the islanders refer to it as Okinawa time as well. Nothing ever seems to start quite on time or run on time, and people are much less concerned with time. You think about stress, it's so much, I think, bound up with our conceptions of time and how much we have to accomplish within a certain time period and where we have to be by a certain time. And, you know, life rhythms are are bound by by time, um, but the, the time cycles tend to be slower and longer in, in, in Okinawa, so people are much less uh, stressed by time. And do you associate that looser approach to life with actual longevity, living up to 100 years old or longer? Well, it's very difficult to quantify that, but we've looked at certain things that that may be related to to a a sense of time, such as type A um, behavioral patterns, which are a type A person is is quite bound up by (laughs) one sense of of time, uh, hard driving, um, most often workaholic types. you find the, these types very much less in, in, in Okinawa. Craig Wilcox, who leads the Okinawa Centenarian Study, along with his twin brother, physician Bradley Wilcox, has been motivated by their research to pay more attention to his own levels of stress. He said he catches himself more when he's tense and takes time out to do deep breathing exercises. The elders of Okinawa, he's found, are sometimes role models for stress management. If you look at the personality profiles of these these centenarians um, in there, you have to look back how they were, uh, of course, throughout their, their their whole life. And we ask them and their um, their caregivers, their their family members, and how they were in in, the, in their prime of life. And we found out that they had a very low sense of, of, of time urgency. They weren't um, time pressure. They weren't overly competitive or overachieving or impatient or often uh, what other things we call the type A is hostile. Um, what they call the the typical personality or behavioral pattern here is tege, which um, really means... Um, a kind of a, a, a loose, calm, easygoing, more relaxed type of, of character. This is very different from the, the mainland of Japan. He, this is where everything starts on time. Everything's punctual, and <laughs> there, things are a lot tighter up there. You see a lot of Japanese from the mainland moving down to Okinawa to, to escape that kind of, um, uh, of social tension. But at the same time, things are... Okinawa is having to adapt to the modern world, and younger people here are in a very, very different lifestyle than their grandparents were. Younger people here are, are really having to to cope with all the, the modern stresses of, of the world, and a, a lifestyle where you're much less active, you're sitting in front of the computer, um, you've got to get to work at a certain time, all of these things, um, you have less time for family, for for friends, and for for cooking nice, healthy meals. Um, there's actually a movement here. It's uh, called slow food, 
and uh, it's kind of a, a reaction to fast food, a counter-reaction. In other words, we need to spend more time on these things like preparing meals and eating meals with families, and, and but at the same time, it's very challenging for people. The specific foods served in those meals and how they're prepared may also influence longevity. In fact, Dr. Wilcox believes that the healthy diet of Okinawa may be the key explanation for why so many people there live to be 100, four times the proportion in America. It has prompted Dr. Andrew Weil in his study of Okinawa's elderly population to examine how food choices affect healthy aging. Increasingly, he's convinced that certain kinds of inflammation in the body can lead to illness, and he urges people to choose a diet that promotes anti-inflammation. There's an interesting idea out there on the medical horizon that chronic low-level inappropriate inflammation is a common root of the age-related diseases. Uh, coronary artery disease begins as inflammation in the lining of arteries. Alzheimer's disease begins as inflammation in the brain. Uh, cancer is linked here as well because the hormones that increase inflammation also stimulate cells to divide more frequently. Um, I think most people in our culture uh, are going through life in a pro-inflammatory state. And this, there are many reasons for this. Uh, one of them is diet uh, because the nutritional choices we make uh, really influence whether inflammation is increased or decreased. So I, I hesitate to call this a diet because diets are, by definition, things we go off of. You know, this is a, a, an eating plan for life, and you could think of it as a wellness diet. But it's designed to direct people's attention to choices in fats, to choices in carbohydrates, uh, to inclusion of plenty of fruits and vegetables, which have protective compounds, to inclusion of uh, specific anti-inflammatory foods like ginger and turmeric, which are intensively researched today. You're big on helping us sort out choices among the array of cooking oils and salad oils available. Yes, the, uh, the body makes these hormones that regulate inflammation from, uh, uh, from essential fatty acids. Uh, most people in this culture are deficient in omega-3 fatty acids, so we want to be thinking where we're getting these. And there aren't too many dietary sources. It's oily fish like sardines and salmon. Uh, it's walnuts, uh, flax seeds. Or you can take supplements, like fish oil supplements, which may be a wise choice because there's so much concern about contaminants in fish today. I recently discovered bags of crushed walnuts. Aha. What are they good with? Uh, well, I love walnuts. Walnuts are a, uh, first of all, I think all nuts are, are healthy because they've got fiber and vitamin E and good fatty acids in them. Walnuts specifically have omega-3s in them. Um, you know, you can mix walnuts with some honey and just eat them, or you can just eat them plain with some berries. Uh, there's actually interesting ways to cook with walnuts, too. You can grind them fine in a food processor and then mix them with uh, vegetables to make spreads or pâtés. They're very versatile nut. Is our culture itself too inflamed? I think our culture is really off track in lots of ways. Yes, I think we are too inflamed as a culture. I think we are too revved up. Uh, and I think our attitudes about aging are just really... Uh, just terrible. It's one of the reasons Dr. Weil has studied cultures like Okinawa. Not only do so many people there live to a ripe old age, but also it's a place where the elderly are venerated and validated, where societal norms tend to accept aging as natural. But in this respectful environment, what foods do Okinawans eat?
Dr. Craig Wilcox of the Okinawa Centenarian Study. They're consuming foods that are nutrient-dense but calorie-poor. What we mean by this nutrient-dense is that they're full of vitamins, minerals, um, micronutrients, antioxidants, flavonoids, all of these properties that healthful properties um, that you can get from food, yet at the same time they don't contain a lot of calories. Um, if you eat the opposite way, which I'm afraid it seems to be the pattern in a lot of modern industrial countries, particularly the States, uh, you're eating a very um, nutrient-poor but calorie-dense diet. It's the exact opposite. And this all comes about from your food choices. You're listening to Humankind. For more information, visit humanmedia.org. Some of the traditional foods commonly eaten in Okinawa are also considered medicinal, including vegetables like mozuko, a type of seaweed, and fruits such as goya, also known as bitter melon, which lowers blood sugar and may help prevent diabetes. You can substitute foods that are found in, in your local area that are, are close to these foods and that are also very high in nutrients. And could could we, you tick mm-hmm. off for us a short list of commonly available foods in the United States that would approximate some of the beneficial foods used in Okinawa? Well, the staple of the diet um, was the sweet potato, and those are readily available in, in the States. When you think about vegetables... You want to go for the rainbow. You want to go for those yellows and greens and where those pigments really contain the the, the carotenoids, which are powerful antioxidants and and other substances that are very, very healthy. So you've got to think color. So nature is not shy about cluing us into the healthiest foods. Exactly. And you you want to go for these foods that are, you know, get out of there, Green, yellow vegetables are, are highly consumed, and, and there's been literally hundreds of studies um, that have shown that people who eat more green, yellow vegetables, dark green, deep yellow vegetables, are healthier and uh, live longer and suffer less morbidity and mortality compared to people who don't. The Okinawan diet is very high also in um, soy products, um, what you might find in miso soups, tofu, it really was the uh, principal source of protein in the Okinawa diet. You know, um, for, for the typical American going into a salad bar, soy had uh, often been served raw, no compelling flavor at all, <laughs> and, right. and sort of gave a bad name to one of the absolutely um, most nutritious and, uh, when properly prepared, delicious mm-hmm. foods on the planet. Yeah, that's... It's unfortunate that um, people still don't know how to prepare it in a, in a the proper way to make it really delicious. I guess the key idea is you have to cook it and spice it properly. Right, exactly. And, and there's tremendous health benefits to this food. Healthier hearts, lower risk for cancer, stronger bones. You know, these are just a few of the potential benefits of of soy. Soy has also been shown to decrease your levels of LDL cholesterol and triglycerides even increase your your bone mass. So it's quite a versatile little bean. 
<laughs> it seems to me that a very important pattern observed by your study is the tradition of social connectedness enjoyed by so many elderly Okinawans. Can you describe that? There's been a lot of research in the past couple of decades pointing to social patterns of interaction and illness. In other words, um, people with larger and uh, in-depth social support networks tend to to age healthier and, and better. And does that and just mean to have a lot of friends? Friends and family are, are very important. Um, not only having uh, a good social network, but also um, using it. We call it the miraculous power of companionship. And what, uh, and what specifically are the health-giving benefits of social connectedness? Is it that people are able to talk about what they are feeling? Is it, is it the release from that? You're talking about stress release for getting together with people, discussing your problems. We find this a lot in Okinawa. You see particularly older women um, getting together in, in, in groups. They have these groups in, in Okinawa. They're called moai. It can be translated as basically meeting for a, a common purpose. Um, a group of friends, relatives, or workmates or get together for purposes of reciprocal support. Um, they used to be called the people's banks as well. So everybody kind of brings a little bit of money and and uh, puts it into the kitty, and one of the of the group will take that home every every time they meet. So they meet maybe once or twice a month. And I'm actually a member of a moai here in Okinawa myself. <laughs> you you really tend to develop um, a, a deepening trust and bond with the the fellow people in your moai, and uh, you can depend on them throughout throughout um, uh, your life. Americans now live on average to age 78. And of course, many live older than that. At the same time, you've predicted that we'll see a total collapse of the healthcare system. Yeah. How do you see these trends playing out? Uh, not in a smooth way. Physician Andrew Weil directs the University of Arizona program in integrative medicine. As you know, the, uh, the greatest medical costs are incurred in the last years of life. And we are now about to experience uh, something unprecedented, uh, what uh, population experts call a, call a demographic bulge of old people. And uh, this is going to be the first time in history that populations are so dominated by the oldest old. Uh, Japan is a little ahead of us in this change. But this means enormous uh, additional strain on the healthcare system. Another thing to think about is that the obesity epidemic that we're seeing in kids is going to be followed by, it is being followed by an epidemic of type 2 diabetes, and it will be followed in a decade or two by an epidemic of cardiovascular disease in young people. So that's going to be an additional burden on the healthcare system. The costs are spiraling out of control. We have become too dependent on expensive technology. Nobody can pay these bills anymore. Uh, I think this is happening all over the world. It's going to happen uh, especially fast in our culture because of these additional strains that I've mentioned. Now, I should also tell you that as a uh, theorist and proponent of integrative medicine, uh, I welcome what's coming because I think out of the collapse, 
there's the possibility of creating new healthcare institutions and new kinds of medicine. What kinds of new institutions might emerge? One that I've talked about for some time is a healing center. Uh, this is a place that I envision as a hybrid between a spa and a clinic. And I look to the Eastern European models of uh, state-supported spas. Uh, you know, I would like to see insurance pay for stays in these centers in whole or in part. You could go to them if you're well for preventive lifestyle counseling, where you'd have a variety of practitioners uh, and counselors, and when you came out, you'd know more than you went in about how to live, how to eat, how to handle stress, how to exercise, and so forth. Physician Andrew Weil, author of Healthy Aging. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Steve Colby. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with The Network Incorporated. Program development and support provided by Short Media. To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org. That's humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN, and our web address is humanmedia.org. This segment on Aging Gracefully is Humankind Program number 103. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind. To hear more episodes of Humankind, you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast player. A new episode each week. The podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to support the program, please visit humanmedia.org. And at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Again, our web address is humanmedia.org. Thanks.